The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather in virtual worship this February Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. The service includes the sermon recorded this week along with music and liturgy from earlier services. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your attention to the possibilities for ministry and pastoral support available on our website, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
may we pray. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught, and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will be faint and weary, and the youth young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim for the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, 
I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means have some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from 100, Psalm 147 with the Antiphon. Praise the Lord! How good it is to sing praises to our God, for God is gracious, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The Lord determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord! and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rains for the earth, makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the animals their food, and to the young ravens when they cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the speed of a runner. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. Glory to you, O Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, 
they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he forbade the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may, I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In a few minutes, we will hear again the ancient liturgy for Eucharist. We are not together to receive together the bread and cup, but we are together in relationship, by memory, in hope, through prayer. And with a little imagination, with eyes closed and hearts open, we might allow the familiar ancient prayers of communion to bring us into communion. Coming into communion, together, together, let us listen for good news this Lord's Day in gospel and in psalm. First, in our resolute gospel, Jesus heals and then prays at some length. What did Jesus pray and how and for how long? Was his prayer attendant upon his healings or caught up only with his pending decision to itinerate? Where was this that he went? What did he wear? Did he kneel? Is this history or theology in Mark 1? There's a strong argument to be made that we really know very little about Jesus, including about how he prayed in Capernaum. James Sanders once gave us a list of eight things we could know about Jesus, one of which was that he died on a cross, and the others of which were not much more startling. Norm, Norman Perrin wrote, this material had a long history of transmission, use, and interpretation in the early Christian communities, and when it reached the hand of Mark, any element of historical reminiscence had long been lost. The Gospel of Mark is narrative, proclamation. Yet this scholarly sobriety hardly slakes our curious spiritual thirst, for we want to know about Jesus as much as we can. When you love someone, you want to know them, root and branch, hook, line, and sinker, all. Every Christian at every time has known this desire. We listen for and to him today. We listen for his word to his word today. Take his word forbade, forbade. He did not permit the demons to speak. We do not believe in demons, not at least in the ancient apocalyptic sense. Some others around the globe, it may be, are much more at home with the first century worldview of the New Testament than we are. Still, we do make some admission, especially in the midst of COVID, of reality beyond our understanding or control. Those struggling this morning with mental illness might teach us all and rightly here. Or those battling the corrosive power of addiction. Or those who can bear full witness to racism in systemic exclusion and in generational impoverishment. Or those alive to, keenly aware of the specters of pandemic, pollution, politics, prejudice, and pain. But demons? No, no demons, not for us, still. Or take his word, say nothing. Why is Jesus forever shushing others in Mark? You can find a dozen places where the writer has Jesus muffle, silence any report about who he is. Here is the first read today. He did not permit the demons to tell people what was really going on, that he was the Messiah. Why? We really do not know. This, though, may be a clue for us to the message Mark wants to convey. 
He is an author writing a certain version of the gospel that differs from others. There is no shushing in John. What is Mark's point? As one great scholar and dear friend has carefully argued, Theodore Whedon, Mark, not Jesus now, nor the early church now, but Mark has an ax to grind, and here it is. Jesus was powerful, but crucified. Christian life will involve glory, but also pain. Jesus was not only a wonder worker whom demons could celebrate or denigrate, he also became a Messiah who disappointed his disciples to the point of their, to the point of Peter's choosing betrayal. Jesus died on a cross toward which in prayer this morning, a winter prayer if ever there was one, he chooses to itinerate. Christians suffer. Mark may want firmly to teach his generation that hurt is, tragically, a part of the walk of faith. Nero's persecution may lie in the background. The Jewish war may lie in the background. A strongly competitive version of a glory gospel may lie in the background. Regardless, this gospel, Mark, is about resolute discipleship. To be a Christian means to know how and why, when you must, to pull up your socks, to be resolute. Take his word, shush. This lack of permission giving on Jesus' part, confronted by demons, is a hard sell in a culture of leisure and narcissism. Christianity is a hard sell, too, hence the inversions of it at various points. Not all youth do easily warm to the required biblical reading of this faith. Not all young adults do easily warm to the sexual disciplines of this faith. Not all mature adults do easily warm to the expected tithing generosity of this faith. Not all older adults do easily warm to the necessary perseverance of this faith. It is a hard sell to transform a culture of almost life to a culture full of life. This is hard Sunday morning work, work in pulpit and prayer. Across America, we don't need so much a political revolution as we need a cultural reformation. Today, across America, we don't need so much a political revolution as we need a cultural reformation. For that, we will need to resolve to take another look at resolution. Just this morning, we have some good news. We have ancient good company in Mark. The writer's community finds themselves at the beginning of the eighth decade AD faced with a crisis of faith. 40 years have passed since Easter morning. The eschatological age has not dawned. The joys of the kingdom are still only dreams. Mark's church is beset by suffering. The focus of his spiritual reflection marks is on the struggling, even suffering, life of Jesus. Some, by example, show us this. There are some heroes and heroines among us making the case for resolute discipleship, both in what they say and in how they live. One such is Marion Wright Edelman, now 81 years old. She must pray, she must. Otherwise, how would she have the discipline to stay on the trail for children, for children, for so many years, so many decades. She wrote once to and for her students, I want to convey a vision to you today as you move into an, into an ethically polluted nation in a world where instant sex without responsibility, instant gratification without effort, instant solutions without sacrifice, getting rather than giving, and hoarding rather than sharing are the frequent messages and signals of our mass media, popular culture, and political life. Don't be afraid of failing. It's the way you learn to do things right. It doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It just matters how many times you get up. It doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It just matters how many times you get up. She, one of our heroines. In other words, this particular walk in faith, your personal walk of faith, 
means that you will not always be appreciated. This walk means that you will be required to be kind to those who do not afford you the same courtesy. This means that you will daily get name tags thrust upon you that are misspellings. You may die a hero's death and have your name misspelled in the paper. Jesus' morning prayer in Mark 1.29 had one single outcome, a resolve, a resolve to take a hard path. Will your morning prayer be resolute? Second, listen to the morning psalm, 147. Given the wintry snares, cold air shoveling, icy night terrors, and snowbound ennui of this winter and of this week, the icy noonday destruction evil scourge wild beasts of this very day. It could be that a sober, heartfelt reading of our psalm, one of the great trusting psalms of a faithful heart, will sustain us a bit this morning. Truth can heal. Across this country, perhaps more than anything else, we need to recover a reverence for truth itself, the antithesis of falsehood, the very basis for a shared ethic and a common language. Our psalmist, our singer, is a person of simple faith. We could make many complaints about this hymn and its singer. He has a dangerously simple view of evil, especially for the complexity of our postmodern world. He has a way of implying that trust or belief are rewarded with safety, a notion that Jesus many times in the Gospels scornfully dismisses and we know to be untrue. He seems to have an appalling lack of interest in the scores of others who fall by the wayside. He seems to celebrate a foreordained, foreknown providence that ill-fits our sense of the openness of God to the future and the open freedom God has given us for the future. He makes dramatic and outlandish promises, not about what might happen, but about what will be. As a thinking theologian, this psalmist of Psalm 147 fails. He fails us in our need to rely on something sounder and truer than blind faith. He seems to us to be whistling past the graveyard. And yet, for those who have walked past a February graveyard or two, for those who have walked the valley of the shadow of death, for us today, for a country mourning 450,000 losses, which in liturgical form we will do here on March 14th, for a world searching to match its ideals of peace with its realities of hatred, for you today, if you are in trouble and who are worried today about others and other graves and other yards, and who have seen the hidden traps, the unforeseeable dangers, and the steel-jawed snares of life, there is something encouraging about this simple song. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Our writer, our psalmist, is not a philosopher. He is a musician, perhaps, but not a systematic thinker. In his psalm, his winter prayer, he has one interest, getting by, getting through, getting out, and getting home. Maybe you feel that too this Sunday morning. So he does not worry about the small stuff. In fact, you may have a sense that the psalmist is a bit desperate. His song is one for that point on the road when you just have to go ahead and risk and jump. That's the thing about faith. It takes a leap. You've made your assessment, you have made your plan, you have made your study, you have prayed, yet you see all the pestilence about you in homes and institutions and nations, so you wonder, is it worth the risk? You are not sure. This hymn of the heart is one you sing when you are not sure, but you are confident. Not certain, but confident. You can be confident without being certain. In fact, a genuine, honest confidence includes the confidence to admit you are not sure. Faith means risk. Isn't that part of what we mean by faith? Our writer is at that point, 
the point of decision. And once you are there, you have to choose between walking forward and slinking away. Our psalmist is speaking just here to our immediate need. Fear not. The Lord is not interested in the strength of the horse or the speed of the runner. Fear not and go about your discipleship. Pray, study, learn, make peace, love your neighbor, agree to disagree agreeably, everyone convinced in her own mind. Here's the memory of a daycare center we opened in one of our churches, where every morning you used to see notes pinned to the coats and sweaters of daycare toddlers. Dads and moms pinning notes on the winter coats of their precious children. This psalm is a note pinned to the shirt of a loved one heading into danger. When there's nothing else we can give our daughters and sons, we want them to have faith. Faith to go forward with heartfelt bravery without being sure of what they will find along the way. Will your prayer be heartfelt? So, dear friends, travel with a little imagination. Imagine Eucharist at Marsh Chapel. Stand to sing, pause to reflect, step out into the aisle, look at and look past Abraham Lincoln and Francis Willard, receive cup and bread, bread and cup, kneel at the altar to pray, stand in communion with the communion of saints. Here is the bread and cup of friendship, Imagine a congregation reciting together a creed, a psalm, a hymn, a poem. Imagine, if you are willing, a congregation currently in painful diaspora, but just now, by the word spoken, a gathered and thus addressable community, you and I and all together, able to offer our winter prayer, framed in gospel and psalm, resolute, and heartfelt, let us pray. Gracious God, we summon the better angels of our nature to sit quietly before you in this morning hour in gratitude. About us await the challenges of 2021, climate and COVID and race and economy. Right here, here and now, hiket nunc, on the street where we live, for the gift of your love to inspire us, to quicken us, to try, to join, to sign up, to get out, we are peacefully thankful. For the gift of your presence to sustain us, to strengthen us, to continue, to persevere, to stay up, to move on, we are simply thankful. For the gift of your power to embolden us, to encourage us to achieve, to give, to change, to travel, to grow. We are spiritually thankful. For the gift of your peace to illumine us, to steady us, to plan, to finish, to complete, to leave, we are personally thankful. Help us to love what is lovely, to be present to what is real, to find strength in what lasts, and to know peace in what honors but surpasses understanding. Guide us to savor the beauty of holiness and the holiness of beauty, as with gratitude right now, we remember and honor those who have supported us, our mentors, our parents, our friends. Inspired by your love and sustained by your presence and encouraged by your power and confirmed by your peace, our life before you flows on in endless song. For the privilege of these few days, even for this last fallow year, we offer our thanks. To thee we offer our resolute, heartfelt prayer. Amen.
for the work before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Let us confess, therefore, our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.
And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.